Good morning. Am I coming through? All right, let us pray. Chatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. Next week, we will install Reverend Angela Rio as Associate Pastor for Christian Formation at 10 a.m. So mark your calendars because next Sunday we will have an 8 o'clock service and a 10 o'clock service and I hope you will all come. I know that you get into the habit of 9.15 or 11 o'clock service. I really hope you'll come because it will be a very special day in the life of our community. We make promises to her, and she makes promises to us. Two weeks ago, we installed Reverend Fernando Rodriguez as our associate pastor for mission. It's so amazing to me how all of this comes together. In the fall of 2004, I was beginning my middler year of seminary and new students were moving into married student housing at Princeton Theological Seminary. Among those students, Reverend Troy and Jess Hauser Bryden. They lived around the corner from me. Also, Reverend Fernando Rodriguez and his wife Kesseline. They moved in to 303 Emmons Building. My building. Hard to believe, isn't it? Did I really get to know these new students, reach out a hand of hospitality, welcome them into the fold of this seminary? No. I was busy that fall. And not with my seminary studies. That was the fall that the Red Sox beat the Yankees <laughs> in seven games at Yankee Stadium after being down 3-0 in that series. They went on to break the curse of the Bambino and win the World Series. And Fernando and Troy are both Yankee fans. <laughs> And I was not exactly quiet about my team's success. Hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> Fast forward another decade or so. Fernando takes a position in my old presbytery and is working with a church plant that I am tangentially involved with. He spends time at my house working through his ministry ideas with colleagues. I get to know his family, he gets to know mine. Then, in November of 2016, I take a flight to Detroit to worship incognito with all of you. I sat right there where Kim Shapiro is sitting, 
right next to Yvonne Rundell. I interview. I return to the airport in Detroit, and Ari and I, my wife and I, are getting ready to board the plane, and Fernando is in the line. <laughs> He's catching a layover flight from a trip he had in Cleveland, and he says, what are you doing here? There's no point in lying, and so I tell him, well, I'm looking at a church, and he gets this big grin on his face, and I say, well, I'm sure nothing will come of it. Hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> Little did I know something would come of it. Little did I know that Pastor Troy was in the final stages of an interview process of his own. Little did I know that Pastor Fernando was feeling a call away from that church planting ministry. Little did I know that God was bringing us all together. And that's what I want to talk about today. That's what I think Jesus invites us to think about in today's text. It's the root of what he's asking. Who do you say that I am? His disciples say, some say you are Abraham, others Elijah, others the prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus insists that he keep that information to himself, which always confused me. This motif known by many as the messianic secret, is a primary feature of the Gospel of Mark, actually. From the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus is requesting that they keep this news of him to themselves. In Mark 1, he heals a leper, you might remember, and then he requests that that leper say nothing to anyone. And in Mark 4, Jesus warns them that the secret kingdom of God is not for everyone. And now here in Mark 8, the NRSV tells us that Jesus sternly orders them to keep it quiet. In my mind, sternly orders is a bit of a, a soft translation. The Greek here, epitomio, which is the same word used to describe how Jesus snarls at a demon to come out of a little boy and the same Greek word used to talk about how Jesus tells the wind and, and the storm to settle down so that the boat can be steady, I think sternly orders is a little soft. It seems Jesus is pretty, pretty serious about keeping this whole thing quiet. Why does he do this? I thought, you know, we were supposed to tell everyone about Jesus. I learned that in Sunday school. For that, you have to know that the community had been waiting for a Messiah for a very long time. And they even had a pretty clear expectation for what a Messiah looked like and what a Messiah would do. And a couple of hundred years before the birth of Jesus, there was this man named Judas Maccabeus, and he was nicknamed, it's the greatest nickname, the Jewish Hammer. And Judas Maccabeus led a successful revolt against the occupying and oppressive Seleucid Empire. 
It was short-lived and failed to bring everlasting peace. But the community had this impression that the Messiah might look and feel like the hammer. You see what I'm saying? See, Jesus wasn't the hammer. Jesus would take the nails. A much different kind of Messiah. And so I don't think that Jesus was so much worried about how if the word got out about him, he would be overwhelmed and overcome by the amount of healings that were being requested of him. I think Jesus wanted to keep it quiet because as long as they had this previous expectation for what it meant to be the Messiah, they were getting him all wrong. What he really is, is a suffering servant. What he really is, is the resurrected son. What he really is, a sign and foretaste of the everlasting kingdom, not some military mind in the temporal world. What he really is, is hard to believe. Now stop right there. Isn't that hard to believe? It was hard to believe for them. He is a sign and foretaste of the everlasting kingdom. Hard to believe then, hard to believe now that he is still the sign and foretaste of the everlasting kingdom. That's who Jesus is. And if that's hard to believe, harder than that, I think, is that he is the resurrected son and the sign and foretaste of the everlasting kingdom in and through all of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't... If that doesn't wake us up, I don't know whatever will. Jesus remains the sign and foretaste of the everlasting kingdom in and through all of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. Because that's hard to believe. It's hard work to believe. It's the simple and yet essential work that we do as a community. Believing what is hard to believe. Believing that there's something bigger than us that brings us together. Believing that that something that's been bringing people together has been bringing people together and since their names were Adam and Eve and Elijah and Elisha and Moses and Miriam and Ruth and Naomi. We are brought together by the same something that brought all of those together. Believe that something is bringing us together and that something has been called many names, Yahweh, Elohim, the I Am. Believe that that something tore apart whatever it is that separates heaven and earth to get dust between his toes and wax in his ears and grime in his nails and tears in his eyes and to love us the best way that a person has ever loved other people. And believe that that's something called disciples to live together as friends and brings us together. That same something that called those disciples to him calls us to him and calls us to community by the power of the Holy Spirit.
And if you believe that, if you believe that, it changes everything. If we believe, if we really believe that, that we are brought together, not because this place fits our personal preferences for worship, or that we like the way it looks, or that uh, it's in a convenient location, or that the senior pastor is stunningly talented. <laughs> but if we believe that God has brought us together, brought us together in the same way that he's been bringing people together since the beginning of time, how can we not help but wonder why? Why are we a community? The other day I was finishing up my work in my office and I heard sounds coming from the Kirk choir room. And I strolled down the stairs and I, I saw the most beautiful thing. There was a group of elementary age girls there, and they were singing. They were the junior girls' choir. They were gathered around the piano really tightly, and Glenn was behind the keys, and Nicole was at their side. Now, some of the girls grew up in this church. Some come in just for the program. Some were actually, five of them were actually driven here by Don and Grace Guthrie from our Accent Pro Pontiac program at Whitman Elementary in Pontiac. They were white and they were black and they were Latina, they were short, they were tall. Some live in big old houses and some lived in drafty ones and they have all varying degrees of confidence. And all these young girls, they were singing this song with these lyrics. I've got roots growing down to the water. I've got leaves growing up to the sunshine. Can you see them? And the fruit that I bear is a sign of life in me, these girls sang. I am shade in the hot summer sundown. I am nest for the birds of heaven. I'm becoming what the Lord of trees has meant me to be. A strong young tree. Oh, for a world where little girls can sing. Can sing a song like this. That is the kind of world that I want to live in. Not a world where little girls are scared or uncertain but where they can stand up and be seen and be loved and nurtured and they can become friends with people that are very different from themselves and where they can sing. That is the kind of world that I want to live in. And it's the kind of world we were helping to create on that Wednesday night. And so maybe that night, that was why God has called this community together brought us together in the same way he's been bringing people together since the beginning of time. Maybe that night, that was why. Why today? 
why today has God brought you to this place to be part of these people? Because if we believe that God has brought us together in the same way that he's been bringing people together since the beginning of time, how can we not help but to wonder why? Why is this community a community? What brilliant impact for holiness and love does God have in mind for us? But before we get there, we must start where it is hardest, where it is simple, and yet it is everything. We have to believe what is hard to believe. Amen.